trajectory, but to our focus, where last year our, our theme verse was Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30, where, where Jesus says, come to me all who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. And so then this year is Matthew six ten, and we're going to talk about that here in a second. But before we get there, as we kind of kick off this series called Kingdom Come, it is a series on praying and fasting, which is just such a great spiritual practice for us as we kick off the new year and prepare our hearts for what God has in store for us this year to have permission to reset and to refocus and to recenter. But that's not going to just happen overnight. And so praying and fasting has become spiritual practices all throughout history, centuries and centuries and centuries, where Christians would uh, take something out of their lives and then commit that time that they would be spending on doing that thing with prayer or with worship or with time alone with God in scripture and meditating and studying God's word. And so this has become a practice that Christ followers have taken on not just at the first of the year, but also at different points of their lives when suffering hits, where should our bodies turn to praying and fasting? When celebration hits, where should our bodies turn to praying and fasting? And so don't just practice this at the start of the year, but it is a great reminder when perhaps we are already being given permission from the rest of the world to reset, to recenter, to refocus our attention on God to spend some time sacrificing something, which is fasting, that takes up our time, our priorities, our idolatry, and then supplement that with praying and say, God, what do you have in store for me this year? And the concept of prayer is so fascinating uh, to me as I've studied it and watched my mom, who is just a, a, a prayer warrior, and just watched her pray. And, and I remember years ago, she taught our staff how to pray. Which is like, it seems so weird as a, a staff at a church that you're being taught how to pray. But, but Cam, our Next Steps pastor, I have the privilege of being her son. She walked us through this, this, uh, this teaching as a staff of just, this is how we are going to stretch ourselves in prayer. And it really is very similar to what happened with Jesus and the disciples. In fact, the only time... This is mind-blowing. The only time the disciples asked Jesus to teach them something comes in Luke chapter 11 when they say, Lord, teach us how to pray. It's the only time out of all of the things that Jesus did that we have recorded in Scripture, all of the miracles, um, even his 40-day fast that we see early on in the Gospels, uh, and, and just uh, being able to pr heal people and heal the sick. And, and the only time that they thought they need to ask him something is they had witnessed Jesus praying very often by himself. And Luke 11 starts out by saying Jesus is off by himself praying. And then the disciples see this and say, Lord, teach us how to pray. And this is Jesus's response uh, recorded in Matthew chapter 6. Perhaps you know it is the Lord's prayer. This is what Jesus says. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And then our verse for the year. 
pulled from that passage, Matthew 6.10. God, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And Brad shared last week that as we as a, a church are praying and fasting for 21 days, whenever we become tempted to indulge in that which we gave up, to say that prayer, Matthew 6, 10. Your kingdom come, God, not mine. Your will be done, not mine, on earth as it is in heaven. What does that mean? And what does that look like for us as a church? How are we prioritizing that verse this year for 2024? Well, we've decided to partner with different organizations uh, and, and ministries and nonprofits and, and schools throughout 2024 to help bring them resources and service projects to help them do their area of ministry and their area of work that they're already doing exceptional at rather than starting and launching something new. And so uh, for this first quarter, we're partnering with Nebraska and ACLA, two schools here in Fort Wayne that walk alongside uh, kids who have either made poor decisions or are part of lower income uh, situations or just need extra care, extra help. And we are collecting crew neck sweatshirts, adult sized, gently used or new, no holes and no graphics in them. And we're collecting them in the lobby. You'll see the table out there. There's a tote right next to it. And then I'll be donating them um, as our church. And if we overwhelm them with all of the donations in this first quarter and they don't need any more, then we'll pick something else to continue on in this first couple of months. But that is just one way that we are saying, God, your kingdom, not ours. This church thing isn't just inside these four walls and inside our children's building, but it is so much bigger. And when we are the church, we are able to come alongside people who are in need and who are in help. And the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God is such fascinating language that we see all woven throughout Scripture. And, and it's really crucial to Jesus' ministry that he kind of helps us dissect the kingdom of heaven theology. And, and perhaps this is the case for you too. Maybe you grew up believing that when you die, you're going to go up somewhere in the sky to heaven. Perhaps you grew up with that belief. But that's not the language that we see in Scripture. Okay, the point of life isn't that we die and then go somewhere. The point of life is that we live in such a way where we usher in the kingdom of heaven on earth. That we are bringing heaven down to us with the way we live, with the way we serve, with the way that we love. And that's what Matthew 6.10 is all about. Your kingdom come. And so it begs this question that I wanted to ask you. What is the kingdom of heaven like? If we see this language all throughout Scripture, and we are supposed to live in such a way where we usher in the kingdom of heaven, how are we supposed to live? What does that look like? What does Jesus say? But before we get there, I actually pulled some of our brilliant and brightest uh, educated scholars here at Crossbridge to get their opinion on what the kingdom of heaven is like. And they sent in some videos, so I want to show this video for you here. It'll have Jesus and animals and people. It'll look like it has Jesus. It'll, it'll, it'll look like it'll be, it'll be look like it'll be blue up there because it's gonna be in the sky. Joy. I think, I think 
There's gonna be Hawaii trees, and you can see the people that died, and there's a beach, and signs of baby Jesus. I think heaven will be like where there's like a garden where all the animals that have lived will be, and there will be like, like a play set for all the kids to play at. And there will be like houses and churches and schools for the people to go to. And different places. A nice place with a bunch of ducks. <laughs> nice ducks, not rude ducks like ours. Did you start it? Yeah, they're like singing and and go flying around. Uh, I think heaven will be uh, where you uh, worship uh, God and Jesus uh, and just live the rest of your eternity uh, in the same area as the Holy Spirit. No, no ring pops in heaven. What do you think heaven's going to be like? Like a birthday. Like a birthday? You think heaven's going to be like a birthday? No. Yeah, like a party? No. Mmm, anything else? Mm. No. All the people and animals that we've loved and then died, we will see again. Awesome, and it's going to have a lot of singing and dancing. Amen. Give it up for our scholars at Crossbridge. I love that, and it, whenever I hear... And that's why I love working with teens still and helping out our youth. It reminds me of the passage when Jesus says, if you have faith like that of a child, um, man, I just I love what that means, what that looks like. And it might be better and nicer ducks than we have here on earth. And so, but this is what Revelation says. And this is the final book that we have in our, our 66 book letter that Jesus and God wrote us. This is some of the language we see in scripture. The glory of God, the heaven will be like the glory of God with brilliance like a precious jewel. Walls made of jasper, no sun or moon for God's glory is its light. Constant worship, no more death or pain or suffering. But Jesus also has plenty to say about heaven, and it's not as simple as ducks or jewels or walls made of jasper, but he shares in different parables. And parables were essentially just stories that Jesus would tell and then would share and sometimes explain to his disciples to compare things uh, to the kingdom of heaven. And as you read throughout Matthew and Luke, he walks through multiple different parables explaining what it means for the kingdom to come for us to usher in the kingdom of heaven on earth. But it's all, not all roses. Uh, this is what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 13, verse 24 through 30. If you want to turn with me there, it will also be on the screen. Verse 24, Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? Verse 28, an enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, 
you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned. Then gather the wheat and bring it to the barn. Well, thank you for joining us today. (laughs) That's very confusing and very different language than perhaps what we grew up with. And even as you read throughout the parables that Jesus shares, actually in Matthew 13, there's four or five stories that Jesus shares. The kingdom of heaven is like this. The kingdom of heaven is like that. This is how we're supposed to live and serve and love. And we question, we wonder, what did that even mean? Well, it's the same question the disciples had a few verses later, and Jesus actually goes on to explain this in verse 37 and 36, sorry. He says this, Then he left the crowd and went into the house, and his disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. And Jesus answered, The one who sowed the good seed is the Son of God. The field is the world. And the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people of the evil one. And the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of God will send out his angels, and they will weed out his kingdom and everything that causes sin, and all who do evil. They will throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Very encouraging, huh? And perhaps you came to church hoping for encouragement and hope as we kick off the new year. But friends, there's also some very serious things that are addressed throughout scripture about what happens in our afterlife is determined by our faithfulness in this life. And Jesus talks about the kingdom of heaven is going to be for the faithful. And he walks through this parable and he says that this world is filled with destruction, filled with temptation, filled with sin that is trying to daily pull us away from faithfulness to God. The weeds. But this isn't just a new message that Jesus kind of plops into the disciples' lap here in Matthew 13. It's a common theme that we actually saw a lot of in Matthew chapter 6 and in Matthew chapter 7. This is what Jesus shared just a little bit earlier to his disciples and to all who would listen. He says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Verse 22, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Verse 23, then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Verse 24, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. 
The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. And it fell with a great crash. That first verse of, of chapter 7 is, is one of the most terrifying verses in Scripture for me as a pastor. Not everyone who calls on the name Lord, Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven. And then the response from his disciples and from his listeners are very similar to what I think our response is going to be as well. It's going to be, God, didn't you see me at church every Sunday? Didn't you see me be a Facebook keyboard warrior throughout the week? Didn't you see me give to organizations and serve people, God? Just like you. And Jesus challenges us with this, that perhaps it's not about our external actions, though our external actions should be impacted by our internal transformation. And so you combine Matthew chapter 7 with this parable that we see in Matthew chapter 13, and you're like, where's the hope? Well, here's the hope. And it comes with actually our first prayer that we want you to pray throughout uh, this week. And perhaps you've heard it before, maybe a couple times in the sermon, Matthew chapter 6, verse 10. Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What I really want you to recognize from this passage is how often our pride stands in the way of our service to God and our faithfulness to God. I think pride is probably the, the I would argue, the most dangerous sin because those who are prideful don't know that they're prideful. When I am prideful, I don't recognize that I'm being arrogant and that I'm placing myself above others and myself above God. Often ever realize it, but then perhaps if I have a friend who gently tells me of my pride, or if we pray this prayer, Lord, expose my pride today, then maybe God will show us what we are struggling with. And so that's going to be our challenge for this first week. As we pray the Matthew 6 prayer, and as we study throughout Scripture, um, how often is our pride standing in the way of loving our neighbor? How often is our pride preventing us from ushering in the kingdom of God? God, your kingdom, not mine. Your will, not mine. You mean I got to love those people? who vote that way, who love that way, who live that way. You mean they're included in this? Yes, absolutely. And it's something that I think all of us at times will go through seasons of where our passions override our posture. Say it that way. Where the things we're passionate about aren't what's wrong where God has perhaps convicted us of certain issues to be passionate about. But when our passion 
takes over our posture of humility and of gentleness, then the kingdom of heaven doesn't leave its impact on the people you're trying to reach. Because pride is so noticeable for other people. Pride is only unnoticeable for the person who's being prideful. But you know, as you are dealing with someone who is perhaps a domineering personality or a prideful personality or an arrogant situation, you are able to pick it out just as easily as Jesus is able to pick it out. And that's why Jesus says before in Matthew chapter 7, the verses we just read in verse 21, that says, not anyone who calls on me will enter the kingdom of God. Just before that, Jesus says that wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. But narrow is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to eternal life, that leads to the kingdom of God. Because living for God's kingdom is difficult, friends. It requires us to daily pick up our cross, our sacrifices, and to give God everything we have. I heard it this way this week. I shared it with our staff at staff meeting. KB, um, he is a, an author and an artist, and he, he shared the price for God's grace is free. But the annual subscription costs everything. And I love that language. The price to purchase God's grace initially is free. But the annual subscription costs everything. All of our time, all of our service, all of our love, all of our money, all of our actions, all of our people. And if we are going to usher in the kingdom of God, as we see in chapter 6, verse 10, God's your kingdom, not mine, on earth as it is in heaven, then we have to eliminate our pride from the picture. And I want to put that prayer back up. It starts with this, to say daily, God, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, which leads us to then this prayer. Lord, expose me of your pride today. Expose me of your pride today. Friends, this is a dangerous prayer. A dangerous prayer. But that's how I want to close today. Challenging us with this mindset, God first. Others first. Serving first. The kingdom of God first. As you pray this prayer, and we, I think it was last year during our prayer and fasting series, we did dangerous prayers. Do any of you remember that series? We had so many people. I probably personally had three or four people text me a couple of months later after that series and were, were graciously upset with us. I don't know if that's the right way to word it. It was, why on earth did you have me pray that dangerous prayer? I'm so thankful that you did, but I went through some crap these last couple of months. And friends, this is a dangerous prayer. Lord, expose me of your pride today. Expose me of my pride today. And what we shared in that dangerous prayer series is that when you pray something like this, God is going to answer. In these 21 days of praying and fasting as a church where we are sacrificing something to God, whether it's food, whether it's technology, whether it's caffeine, whether it is video games, whether it is Reddit, whatever it might be, when we are 
fasting and praying something like this, oh, friends, it opens the doorway for the Lord and the Holy Spirit to convict us of our sin. Conviction being that nudge from God to say, hey, you need to work on this. That pornography addiction needs to go. Or perhaps you are an anxious person and you struggle with anxiety and you struggle with depression or you struggle with thoughts of suicide and you're like, you know what, God, today I don't want to live this anyway, anymore. I want to find hope. I want to find help. I want to seek you. And it's not that God's going to take it away. But perhaps in that prayer time, God is going to share with you some different ways that you are living that are impacting your mental health. Or perhaps medication or therapy is necessary for you to be able to take next steps in growing. But it's in that prayer time, what we call the war room, maybe you've seen the movie before, where you get on your knees and you're saying, God, show me my pride today or show me my sin or show me my weaknesses. And if you've ever wondered, well, Jordan, prayer sounds great. How do I do it? Teach us how to pray. You're in good hands. That's the same question the disciples asked. But here's the challenge for the week. First, every morning and every night this week, pray that prayer. Lord, expose me of your pride today. But then your second challenge is this. One of the more common traditions throughout the early church was to pray the Psalms. It was one of their favorite spiritual practices where they would open up the book of Psalms. I think it's over, it's, it's over 149 um, passages. Prayers, songs, poems, stories, vent sessions. is actually exactly 149. It's in the Old Testament about halfway through your Bible. And what the early church would do is, is once or twice a day, they would turn to the words of David in the very beginning, and they would just pray the very first psalm out loud, and they would meditate, and they would reflect on this. So Psalm 1, they would, they would uh, get together, and they would say, blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked. And they would say that first verse, and then they would pray over it, and they would think about it, and they would reflect on it. That's such an easy way to pray if you don't know where to start or how to pray. Say, Lord, expose me of my pride today as I read Psalm chapter 1. Lord, expose me of my pride today as I go to work. Lord, expose me of my pride today as I go to school or as I go uh, hang out with friends or I have friends over or I am trying to be patient with my kids. Lord, expose me of my pride today. It's such a dangerous prayer, but it is a kingdom come prayer as well. Because as we become less prideful, God opens our eyes to the needs of others. You cannot have pride and the needs of others in your heart at the same time. And so as we pray this, we will be ushering in the kingdom of God with the way we live, with the way we love, with the way we serve. Yes, Matthew chapter 7 is terrifying. Yes, Matthew chapter 13 is terrifying, but God gives us those warnings so that we don't allow pride to stand in the way of our posture of God. May it be the case with us as well. Will you pray with me? Hey God, thank you so much for this space. God, your kingdom, not mine. Your will, not mine. Lord, as we pray and we fast as a church, as we give up something, and even if some of us have slipped up or haven't started yet, God, 
we start today by asking you to show us our weakness. Show us our pride. Expose us of those areas, God, and then your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, help us see that more clearly today. In your name we pray, amen.